Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Life is Love School. I'm extremely excited today to welcome Autumn Rosick. Um, Autumn is a member of the Life is Love School Women Only Membership Program. And I've known Autumn for quite some time, and I've seen her go through an incredible transformation. So I really wanted to bring her online to have her share her story of her childhood and, and what she had to overcome uh, to be where she is today. So um, Autumn is also a mother of four children and she's uh, currently managing a large team at a children's hospital. So she has a very busy life as well. So I really appreciate Autumn taking the time to talk to us today. Welcome Autumn. Thank you. I am so happy to be here too, because I feel like meeting you changed my whole life. And so I'm eternally grateful and I would do anything for you. <laughs> Thank you so much. It means so much. I feel like you're giving me a lot of credit because healing is difficult and you have to do the work, right? Like I, maybe I can share my journey with you, et cetera, but ultimately you're the one who pulled everything through and you're the one that put things through practice. Um, so maybe if you could take uh, the viewers down kind of a memory lane, maybe talk a little bit about your childhood and some of the, the things that you had to overcome, like what happened? So I was born into, so my, my birth family, my family of origin is highly dysfunctional. They, I have a younger sister and an older sister. And my older sister was placed in and out of foster care before my younger sister and I were born as like a warning to our birth parents, get yourself together, because if you don't, you're going to lose your children. They did end up losing custody in a very long battle with the court. My birth father signed over his rights to my sister and I, and then my birth mother fought until they took custody from her. And then during that period of time, my older sister and I were in and out of foster care. Now, for people to understand the gravity of the situation, I was small. I was removed from place from my birth parents at one and a half. And in, I got adopted at three and a half. And in that time frame, I had 12 placements, which for a child that is that small is insane because you can't bond, you can't attach, you, you don't feel safe, you're consistently scared, you don't know what's happening to you. Um, so then I was adopted with my younger sister at three, I think I was three and a half, roughly. My time frames with uh, age and stuff are sketchy because of yeah, trauma. You're very little, yeah, for sure, yeah. that too. So then I was adopted and my sister and I grew up with our parents, my younger sister and I, my older sister was placed with a different family because of the abuse she had been witness to when she was small. She did take it out on me quite a bit. So they had to separate us. Um, I had a relationship with her until I was about six or seven. And then my parents stopped letting us communicate. So. Um, that was sad. Mm -hmm. So growing up, I struggled with a lot of issues with my parents. I had anger issues. I had learning disabilities. I um, had boundary issues with people. Like I didn't understand that I could say no to people and it was okay. What happened when you try to say no? 
people were always able to convince me otherwise. Like, I'm an adult, you can't say no, or you're a kid, like only speak when you're spoken to, like what happens in this house stays in this house. Like everything that was going on, we had to keep to ourselves. We weren't allowed to talk about it to other people. That's pretty typical. Yeah. It it was very difficult. And Mm -hmm. I mean, my sister and I had a babysitter whose house we would go to and he was completely inappropriate. I didn't know he was inappropriate until I learned about it in school. And I got the courage to tell about it at school. I told the counselor. I was too scared to tell my mom. And when my mom found out because the counselor called my mom and told my mom, my mom was furious. Furious at the babysitter? Hopefully. She was furious with us. And my sister denied that it had happened because she was angry and scared. Like I, I was scared and I didn't tell like the full extent of what happened because she was so angry about it. And so I, um, do you know why your mother was angry at you instead of at the babysitter? Well, as an adult now understanding the situation for what it was, I'm sure she felt shame. Hmm. I'm sure she was ashamed that it happened. I mean, the hardest part of that situation growing up was that they did nothing about it. Like, yeah, they removed us from the babysitter or whatever, but why didn't you call the police? Why didn't you like have them investigate it? Because like, I did a lot of things wrong as a kid. I ran away from home. I fought with my parents. I did a lot of crazy stuff as a kid. I didn't swear at them or like get verbally abusive or anything like that because I respected them too much because they took me out of the foster care system. But my running away as a teenager at 15 got me put into the court system. So they ended up placing me in foster care again when I was 15. And I got placed at that same home where I was sexually abused when I was a little kid. And he was still doing it. Wow. That's truly awful. Yeah. Well, the good thing is, is that At that point, I was old enough and I felt strong enough that I could say something. I didn't say anything to the family while I was there, but when I left, I reported it. That's great. They ended up getting shut down. She didn't have a license after that. That is great. Yeah. Which was You protected some other kid. That's extraordinary what you did to have the courage to do that. Well... I had to, there were, I knew for years, four years, it happened when I was five for 15 years or 10 years or whatever it was, kids were getting abused there and nobody was doing anything about it until you did. And that was extraordinary because you were still a kid and and you did that. But how did all these things, you know, the um, inconsistent care, the multiple different caretakers throughout your life, the sexual abuse that you encountered? How did that affect you growing up into adulthood? Because you eventually were able to be independent, right? Well, I, you say was, well, technically I was allowed to be independent, but should I have been? Probably not. Like looking back now, I know I was in survival mode for the entire time. 
literally like when I look back, cause my journey started two and a half years ago. Uh, when I left my ex-husband who was a narcissistic abusive person is when I started trying to get better. I didn't have a good roadmap. And so then I started looking for people who could help me through the process because I didn't really know how to, like I had my list prepared of these are the things I have to work on to change my life, but who can help me get to the point that I want to be at? So I started reading books. I started doing research and then I found you. (laughs) That's amazing. Thank God. Thank God. (laughs) I'm so glad that we found each other. Me too. Because my, my current husband now says to me all the time, I cannot believe how you've grown in these last two years. He's like, it's been amazing to see. Like, cause before I thought I was a good parent. I thought I was a high functioning person. I was not, I was in survival mode and had no idea. I was just living, trying to live. That was it. I was thinking, when am I going to have my next paycheck to pay these bills, to go to sleep, to get up, to do it again the next day, and to do better and better and better? I wasn't thinking about actual connections with people and loving people and giving. Like, I always thought I was a giving person, but I was a giving person in the wrong way. Like, my love was conditional, and I didn't realize that but that's how I grew up and that's how they grew up and their parents grew up. I mean, it's generational. And until I realized I have to be the one that makes this stop, it's never going to stop. Yeah. I think that's very well said. And in fact, I would say that a lot of people that we think are high functioning and they also have you know nice careers, et cetera. They're also in survival mode. They're very stressed out. They have difficulty sleeping without sleeping pills. They're on SSRI. In fact, 20% of Americans are on SSRI and they live in an unconscious space where they're constantly on the hamster wheel, just running and in survival mode. But they never created a connection of why am I outwardly successful and I'm still not happy? What is going on? Is my day-to-day going to be like this for the rest of my life where I'm living in pain, anxiety, and, and alternating between anxiety and depression and right. dread, you're dreading the day, not wanting to get out of the house, not wanting to wake up. A lot right. of people live that way, but they don't think about maybe there is a different way. And that's, I think what's unique about you is that you created that list. Can I ask what was on the list when you started uh, searching? The first one was emotional regulation, then inner child, But that was after I had like read a ton of books and learned a lot of stuff. Cause like, I knew I had problems with codependency. I had problems with not having boundaries. I didn't have respect for myself. I I had no self-esteem at all. I felt completely worthless and disgusting. And like, I was a horrible person. Like when I started this, I was a hundred pounds heavier than I am now. And I started doing meditation, affirmations, um, journaling, tapping. I mean, I tried like everything I could find. I tried it because I was like, I've got to get better. I can't keep living like this. And then I was doing yoga in front of a mirror 
to build up my self-esteem and my confidence. I started eating healthy and exercising. Like I took a job in a field I've never been in two years ago to push myself to lean into discomfort and to grow. And I knew that if I didn't face the fear and just do it, that I'd be stuck. Like I had been for 37 years. <laughs> I'm like, time to get real with this. And I literally, for every single day I went to work for the first three months, I had anxiety. I would sweat. I have to go to the bathroom. I feel like I was going to faint or throw up, but I just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And after five, five months, it less and less and less and got better and better and better. And now I can handle just about any situation in the ICU with a team, kids like crashing, cold bells going off. Like, and I never thought I'd be there. Like, I never thought I could get to that level. And then I applied for the manager job where I currently work uh, two months ago. I never thought I'd get it. I was told by my old supervisor, you don't have a bachelor's degree. You don't know enough. You'll never get it. And then so that's, I got that it. person is limiting belief and trying to hoist it on you. And you said, you know, not for me. You may nope. have it. It's not for me. I reject it. <laughs> yep. I was like, the worst I could do is try. And they tell me, no, it shows Absolutely. that I want to make changes, that I want to progress, that I want to advance. That's a really good way to see it because a lot of times people say no to themselves before the world even has a chance to say no to them. I think that specifically applies to survivors because we got to reject it so much. We got so many doors slammed mm -hmm. in our face by people we trust that we're supposed to have our back that a yes. lot of times we learn to be helpless. We learn to just shut ourselves down, shut everything down, shut our ambitions down and not feel right. okay with asserting what we want in life because we want what we wanted didn't matter. So what kind of trigger you to say, you know, I got to live different because that takes so much courage. I think that's where a lot of survivors can't get through is they, they feel like they're too afraid to try. Well, I was afraid, but I can tell you when you look at like when I got divorced, it was an ugly, terrible, hideous divorce. I mean, it. I still am like not on speaking terms with the ex-husband we communicate through a court mandated app because it's so volatile and I've had parental alienation on his side with my kids and when you can look at the mistakes you've made and acknowledge them and accept them which was ridiculously difficult. That's what I did the first two years prior to searching up all this stuff. I had to process and go through all of that. I cried every day for almost two years. It was horrible. Like I've ruined their lives. Why did I leave? This is horrible. Even though I knew I deserved to leave and not have to deal with being told you're fat and ugly and stupid and nobody wants you around and your own family hates you and that kind of stuff. Like, I knew that giving my younger two sons a mom who is healthy is more important than staying, even though they didn't understand it at the time because they were small. Mm -hmm. 
staying in that situation lets them think that that behavior is okay. And it isn't. And it's especially damaging when you have sons and you're a mom because they look to that dad as their primary example of how to be. That's right. Yes. Yes. How to be a a man and how to treat women. Yes. Devastating. And like, I know that as a mom, I did the best I thought I could at the time. Mm -hmm. Looking back now, I know I can be better, but I didn't know it then. Yeah, I, I wish all I parents would say that, what you're saying right now, because there's no perfect parent in the world. Uh, Dr. Shafali, who specifically works on conscious parenting, said that the only perfect parents are people that chose not to have kids because there's not a chance there, to screw no. up. There is no See, perfect parent. I had a very hard time growing up because my mm-hmm. parents tried to portray perfection. And you're not perfect. Just because you're a grown up doesn't mean you're perfect. And I like, they would be wrong a lot and never say they were sorry. That's why that's one, been one of the things that I've always said to them. Like if I've snapped at them or yelled at them, or I gave them misinformation, I'd come back and I'd say, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that to you that way, because that was wrong of me. You're a child and I'm an adult and I need to know how to control myself. That is not your responsibility. Right. Because there's such a big power differential between the adult and the child. Yes, you're a big person towering over a small And kid. they depend on you for survival. If you don't feed them, if you don't clothe them, they will die. So um, the yeah. fact that if you didn't say sorry when, when things were wrong or any parents did not admit fault, then it's a form of gaslighting almost to the kid. Because the kid, deep down, they know when the parents have it done something wrong. Is. It's a form it of really lying. Is. Yes. It's a form of lying and it's a form of denying the kid's reality. Kind of when you were growing it's, up and, and you were molested and your parents didn't tell you that, you know, you were right for, for reporting it. We need to take this person and report him. When they didn't right. do that, they denied your reality. And that's very yes. damaging. I, it felt that way to me as a kid. I'm like, you're angry at me, but I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> that's like, right. It took a lot of years to understand that I didn't do anything yes. wrong. Like yes. I did the right thing in telling. Right. I mean, I did and, wrong things in the process of it too, but I mean, I was a five-year-old child. I didn't have the capacity to understand either. That's right. Like I have a lot of guilt about that scenario. So, I mean, guilt is a damaging emotion though. And when we look guilt at Guilt is it, damaging if it's toxic, as in you didn't do anything yes. wrong, but you take the blame. Yes. That's what I mean by that. Yeah, because like definitely. the example with my kids too, like I could wallow in self-pity and like not be able to function from the guilt that I have for how I parented them before I got divorced. But what does that do for them? Nothing. It makes me an infunctional, uh, unfunctional parent. Mm-hmm. It puts me in being abandoning them and neglecting them because I'm not doing my job as a parent. So I have to be mature and get it together and realize that I can make those changes now. Unfortunately, I had a long time where it was really bad. And I consistently tell them the truth about myself, which is mom made a lot of mistakes before. And I'm really sorry you were hurt by those mistakes. So we're trying to change them now. And I'm trying to teach you how we can do things differently, how I can love you better. You know, 
So yeah, I just I think most people can, find it the hardest to forgive themselves, right? Because it's it's somewhat even easier to forgive other people, but trying to forgive ourselves because we know exactly what we've done and we wish that we've done better, especially if we hurt our own children because we yes. didn't know better. It's very easy to blame ourselves. And I think a lot of women in your situation that I've helped, they they can't get over the self-blame and that keeps them trapped. So what you said is so important, which is I have to forgive myself because that's an act of courage because I need to reserve as much energy as I can to make a difference today for the people that I do love. So that's actually the harder work is to let go of that, that self-hatred that doesn't belong. It a hundred percent is. And right. the only way I could do it was by knowing that if I had known any better, would I have done better? Of course I would have done better. I would have, if I had known the information, I would have been doing it the whole time, but I didn't. And the other thing is people don't, they fail to recognize that you're not a perfect person. We are imperfect human beings and we're always learning. You wouldn't be mad at a kid if they didn't understand trigonometry. They have to learn it by practice, by taking steps to learn the process. You can't expect somebody just to know how to do it, especially if you were raised in a family where it wasn't taught. You have no way of knowing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you did is actually very constructive for your boys because they're seeing that here's a mother who is a human just like me and she made mistakes and she owned the mistakes and she's showing a tremendous growth and she's doing every day. She's a fighter. She's fighting for us. She's growing. I could see it. That's an extraordinary lesson for them in life. It is. I, to me, the most one of the most profound things that was said was by my, my uh, 14 year old. And he tends to be my most challenging child. So it was a huge, huge thing. He said, I don't like that you and my dad aren't married anymore, but you don't yell like you did before. (laughs) And you're a lot happier than you were before. I said, and the difference is, is that I love who I've become. I didn't love who I was before. I barely like, I didn't even like who I was before. I hated being who I was. I didn't want to be in my body. And like, I, another realization that I had too, is once I got out of that environment, I was out probably a year and a half. And I realized that that entire, probably last 10 years of my marriage, I was disassociated. I had no idea. I was like, how, why is it that I cry all the time now? And then when they're over and we're laughing and we're having fun, I'm so happy. Like I, the only emotion I had disassociated was anger. That was it. Anger and just make money, work, 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 work. That was it. Yeah. You were kind and of it makes me not there sad. anymore. Yeah. yeah, it made me so sad to think that my kids grew up like that. But like, I had a conversation uh, two years ago with my oldest son, who's in the military. And I said, I mean, I had at that time, I had horrible guilt. And I would tell them all the time, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But a year after that, he said to me, I can see changes in you because before you used to say, I'm sorry, you feel that way about that situation. And now I say, I'm sorry that my actions caused you to feel the way you did. 
it was completely inappropriate, a lot of my behavior, and I'm sorry you were hurt by it. There's a huge difference in the tone, in the context, and knowing if someone is genuine or not. I wasn't accepting responsibility, and you can never make amends if you don't accept full responsibility for what you do. That is so well said because until you own your responsibility, the finger is pointing elsewhere and we're still in a helpless position. I remember because you were mentioning you were divorced, right? Like uh, it's pretty typical for trauma survivors to get into another abusive relationship because that's really all we know. And sometimes we feel like we're running away from one bad parent and we run towards the other parent while well, the other parent is also sick because it takes kind of two to click. So we're just mm-hmm. running in that sandbox, unable to get out. And that's why I spend a lot of time in the women-only membership group just specifically talking about how do you notice red flags or how do you find a good partner? How do you interact with people in, in the dating phase, et cetera? Because I think it's very important that, that we have that level of discernment. But you're right. Yeah, you got to own, you know, whether it's a relationship breaking down, obviously, it's not to wallow in self blame. But if we can identify what is our part, right, if we keep going into the similar bad relationship situation, the commonality, you know, obviously, we have some of that. So what is it, we have to see it to fix it. Right. Yes. It's been a long road, but one that I would never change. As crazy as that sounds. Including like, all the trauma. Like if you get a chance yes. to say I could be reborn. Well, that's a different story because <laughs> <laughs> I think that my potential, but see, we never know the type of parents we're going to get. Even the most well-intentioned parents make mistakes yeah. and they can mess up the situation. Now, if I could go back and I could be the parent of myself Yes. With the knowledge I have now, 100% I would. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? Yes. I think I, I want all the women in the group to feel that way that, hey, you know, I'd be pretty, really awesome parent to myself, to my own inner child. If I get to do that, imagine what I would be. Oh. I mean, I think that is a true testament to the level well, of growth you've exhibited, that you want to take I'm, care of yourself. <laughs> another thing, too, that to me, like, I never thought in a million years would ever happen is that. Like, because you're doing things to make yourself better, you inevitably make the people around you better too. You may not think you are, but you yes. really are. Like We feel that things- in a group, Autumn. You, you post yes. a lot of really great information and it's like, oh, people are like, oh yeah, I resonate with that. It's, it's lifting me up. It's giving me courage. Yes. Well, my husband is my example because like throughout all of this, like, I'm like, read this, read this. Look what I found. I found this. And a lot of times he's like, eh, but I wouldn't stop talking about it. I'm planting those seeds, those seeds of, and you, yeah, your conscious mind, not, conscious mind might not be getting what I'm saying, but the unconscious mind is getting what I'm saying. Cause like sometimes he may say something negative about himself. And I say, you know what? I don't like it when you talk about Jake like that, because I <laughs> like Jake. Jake is my friend and I love him. And he looked at me the one day, like I was a crazy woman. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, that's how we have to shift the paradigm. Yes, a little bit at a time. That is so awesome. Like um, I, I do have... that with my husband too, because I'm really into psychology and healing and everybody has childhood trauma. I mean, even yes. if it's small T, big T, everybody has something. And a lot of right. people 
are just not aware of it and they don't know why they feel you know so alone even in a crowd you know just like small things but you can yes. always if you think hard enough you trace hard enough you always find it and once you find it it frees you in some way because until you see what it was you're constantly like there's a shadow and I don't know why I'm so scared right once you see it for what it is you're like oh that was just me when I was a little kid and I was scared now I'm an adult I can see like, it in a different light I never thought that I could get to this point never like I was the person that I've tried all these different therapy modalities and I literally was in therapy like my whole life growing up and on and off as an adult and I've tried like everything I even went as far as the last time I tried stuff I tried the um lens biofeedback with the EEG wires on the brain to change the amplitude like that's what I do at work so I was like well I gotta try this because I know that this will do something I mean it did help it did make me more calm less anxious I had better focus so I'm not saying it's not a useful tool it is but if you don't get to the root of the problems and because it really is like peeling back the layers of an onion you have to start at the core which for me was emotional regulation because if I can't regulate my emotions in highly stressful situations I can't function I have to get out of fight flight freeze that's the only way so yeah. when I started with that I knew I had like hit a breakthrough when I was at work and my boss was like in my face, yelling, talking down to me and like making me feel small. And I was like, I'm not a little kid anymore. Like I can deal with this. <laughs> like I did my technique that I learned my hold to calm myself down and take myself out. I was so proud of myself. And then the next day I said, I'd like to meet with you. And then I met with her and I said, yesterday, I understand that you have a stressful position and you are overwhelmed, but that is no reason to take it out on the people around you. Wow. And you have been putting more work on me every day that I've been here this week. And I've been consistently accepting the work, but I can no longer accept the work because I have enough already. That is setting very strong boundaries with an authority figure. And a lot of people have a lot of issues with that. It's because, it especially worked. if we were abused by authority growing up, it's very scary. Yeah. All of a sudden we get trans transported back to childhood. And all of a sudden it seems like we're the five-year-old and, and our parents are yelling at us again. So right. the fact that you could catch yourself in the moment and then also have that very adult conversation with her, it's tremendous. So I want to congratulate you on that. Yeah, I, I've had, like that person, as difficult as they were in my situation, they helped me grow because mm -hmm. they pushed the triggers that I used to have and right. I was no longer affected. Yeah, you're Same basically seeing my... this life as a, a school. Here's a lesson. Yes. This person is here to deliver a test and that's all there 100 percent. My mm -hmm. ex does it consistently. Like before, <laughs> post-divorce, I would get anxiety and be emotionally mm -hmm. flooded the instant a text came from him. Now right. he texts. I don't even like look at it. Like I'll yeah. let it sit there for a day. Then I'll right. look at it. Then I might right. respond. I might not. Depends on what it says. Because yeah. for all of you ladies out there or men, no response is the best response with a narcissist. Yeah. You're absolutely <laughs> right. You're absolutely right. They're looking for any juice they can get out. You of cannot it. engage because engaging right. just fuels their fire and it's not worth the stress for you at all. 
Yeah, it isn't. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much, Autumn. I really appreciate you sharing your journey. It's been absolutely extraordinary and a real delight to have you in the group, just to see you grow and the fact that you're so helpful for the, the group of lady during our discussions and all the, whether it's in the group or during the live calls, I just really appreciate having you. You're welcome. Well, to me, I feel like I owe it to people so that they don't have to go through the things I did. Like yes. if I can help somebody else not have to go through the horrible divorce I did, please, please, please message me. I will talk to you. Yeah, I think for, for me personally, just seeing um, that we could help each other out. Because a lot of times when we're going through things, we feel even alone and somewhat perhaps even ashamed. You know, why am I so uniquely broken? Or how did I mess things up so badly? And nobody else is as broken as I am. And then we show up in the group and it's like, wow, you know, you're like this too. Your parents were like this too. And this is how you react as well. And we realize that our reaction is not abnormal. In fact, it's a, it's a very normal way to cope with abnormal circumstances. And I think well, that in itself is healing. It is. I think one of, one of the things, one of the greatest things I've learned throughout this whole process is about shame. And that's why mm -hmm. I want to touch a point on it. Shame has power because we hide it, because we hide whatever it is that, and that's what causes the shame. So in order to take the power out of shame, we have to talk about it. Like I was so afraid to talk about it because I mean, you're told, keep your mouth shut. Don't say what happened here. People don't need to know our business and that kind of thing. And then you start telling people about it and they're like, really? That's how it is. That's how it was for you. Cause like I had friends that growing up that had abuse too. And they were like, I thought I was alone. Like, you're not alone. And I, I like helped a friend talk to the counselor at school and get her out of the situation that she was in. Even though my experience went badly, doesn't, it still should end the abuse. Yes. And that was the goal. Yeah. I think that's a perfect ending to this conversation because the justice that we have is a justice that we make. Yeah. I think a lot of times we were forced by our oppressors to suppress our voice. We couldn't mm -hmm. speak a lot of times. We couldn't speak safely when we were children. But now that we're grown ups, we almost have a duty to speak up and to share what happened to us so that it frees everybody. It frees everybody's story and then frees the shame because shame keeps us trapped. And it's only it only serves the abuse. Um, it doesn't serve right. the victim. So well, I, wanna... I want to be the change I want to see in the world. And the only way yes. I can do that is by speaking up. Yeah. Yeah. So I yeah, I want all the survivors to know that if there is any shame, it doesn't belong to you. It's always the perpetrator, the abuser, the person that did the wrong thing. It's never Definitely. on the child. So no. yeah. Thank you, no. Autumn. You're welcome. I enjoy talking to you. I did too. Always do. Always do. You have wonderful advice, wise words of wisdom. I love reading everything you post. Thank you. Thanks for being here. <laughs>